0: My name is Ben Greenfield, and on this episode of the Ben Greenfield Life Podcast...
1: You are confronted by super intelligences. Some people believe they're demons, some people believe they're friendly spirits, other people believe they're archetypes, apparitions of your mind. Jung wants to call it your own shadow. Everybody has their own take on it. Regardless of that, you're confronted with something far greater than what we think we are. Right, That was one of my larger realizations of plant medicine is, okay, so whatever I think I am, I'm really not that, I'm not that tough. I'm not really anything compared to whatever exists in this realm beyond our normal conscious processing.
0: Fitness, nutrition, biohacking, longevity, life optimization, spirituality, and a whole lot more. Welcome. To the Ben Greenfield Life Show. Are you ready to hack your life? Let's do this. If you're in your 30s or anywhere beyond, you got to start eliminating senescent cells in your body. These are the so-called zombie cells that make you feel old before it's time to feel old. They linger in your body after their useful function, hence their name zombie cells, wasting energy and precious nutrition and leading to so many middle age symptoms like low energy, brain fog, slow workout recovery, and joint discomfort. But luckily, you can nuke these senescent cells. There are a bunch of different, newly discovered, plant-derived ingredients that, when expertly combined, can help to reduce senescent cells And the folks at Neurohacker have cracked the code on putting them all together into a fantastic product called Qualia Senolytic, Qualia Senolytic. Now, this could be one of the biggest aging breakthroughs of the decade based on what we know about senescent cells. It could take years off how old you feel in just months. And you only use it twice a month, six capsules twice a month, super simple. I'm actually on my cycle right now. I just took six this morning. I'll take six tomorrow morning. Then I set it and forget it for a month nuking my senescent cells and feeling younger in the process. So if you're sick of feeling old before your time, try try Qualia Senolytic. Go to neurohacker.com slash Ben Seno, S-E-N-O, neurohacker.com slash Ben Seno, backed by a 100-day money-back guarantee, and that code Ben Seno will give you an additional 15% off at neurohacker.com forward slash Ben Seno. All right, so look, we're all adults here. Some of us like to use nicotine to relax or focus or even just unwind after a long day. Some people, some people find it like this unique combination of focus and relaxation. Lucy is this modern oral nicotine company that makes nicotine gum and lozenges and pouches for adults who are looking for the best, most responsible way to consume nicotine. So It's a new year coming up, so why not start it out by switching to a new nicotine product you can actually feel good about? Now, it does contain nicotine. I have to tell you this. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Man, oh man this stuff tastes amazing and uh turns your brain on big time I like it uh half the time when you see me chewing gum I'm chomping on a piece of Lucy uh even though you're supposed to tuck it in your cheek I just like to chew it the pomegranate flavor oh my gosh and the, the cherry ice lozenges oh man okay Lucy.co is where you get it and you use promo code Ben20 at checkout which saves you a ton because let's face it nicotine's not like the cheapest supplement but 20% off holy cow Ben20 so Lucy.co L-U-C-Y.co and use promo code Ben20 at checkout let's talk thyroid when your thyroid gets sluggish, you slow down. Your metabolism slows down. Now, I interviewed this super smart doctor about all this. Her name is Dr. Amy Horneman. During our interview, she talked about her secret weapon for thyroid that most doctors don't even know about. It's called T2. All right, thyroid 2. T2. Now, here's why T2 is a real MVP, why I started taking it after I interviewed her. You get a basal metabolic rate boost so your body burns more fat. It helps your body use fat as a fuel, so you can say goodbye to your love handles and muffin tops. You get energy but without jitters and heart palpitations. It activates brown adipose tissue, which means it's also fantastic for like stepping up with things like cold showers and cold soaks would do for you. It activates muscles, making muscles burn fat like you're in beast mode at the gym. More oxygen consumption it allows for, so it takes your oxygen consumption to the next level. It keeps your kidneys happy with renal protection, keeps your cholesterol in check. One twenty-eight day study showed that when people use T2, they got a whopping 9-pound fat loss and 4% body fat reduction, all without messing with thyroid hormone levels or your heart. So imagine waking up with the energy of like a toddler on a sugar rush without all the candy and having a metabolism that's on fire and seeing those inches melt away. And that's what T2 can do for you. Thyroid Fixer. It's chock full of T2 and supportive compounds that make T2 work even better. And you get 20% off of it. Amy Horniman, the gal I interviewed, she like designed it. This is her product, which is amazing. A spell with two X's, Fixer, F-I-X-X-R. Amy's website, betterlifedoctor.com slash Ben. Here's your code, Ben20 for this stuff. You got to feel the magic of T2. Betterlifedoctor.com slash Ben and use code Ben20 for 20% off. All right. Well, my guest today is Mike Cernovich. You pronounce it Cernovich, not Kernovich, right,
1: Mike? Right, or Chernovich, I guess, is the proper way, but we go with uh, oh, yeah. the Anglicanization of
0: it. All right, well, I'm going to go with Chernovich. I think that's, that sounds best. So if you guys aren't familiar with Mike, uh, he's pretty prolific on Twitter, or X, or whatever you want to call it now. Uh, and he, he has some really cool kind of off-the-beaten-path discussions of life and culture. And he also has a book he wrote several years ago called Gorilla Mindset that I actually read leading up to this podcast where he talks about culture and current affairs and how to live a better life. But he's got some pretty cool tips in there that I'm hoping we get a chance to talk about today, as well as a really interesting idea he has about fear and what is on the other side of fear. Uh, He uh, produced a film on media propaganda called Hoax. It was a top 10 independent film for two weeks in a row dominated the charts on Apple TV and iTunes. Obviously a controversial topic, but Chernovic's a, a controversial guy. Uh, he was also, you might be familiar with his name behind this, instrumental in bringing the story of Jeffrey Epstein into popular consciousness. And he filed a lawsuit to unseal hidden court files in a case that was involving Epstein. And he has broken dozens of other stories of significant interest. And as a result of all of this, as a create a lot of controversy, uh, not only on his sub stack, which is fantastic, but also on Twitter, where he has over a million followers. And, you know, we, we've interacted a few times on Twitter. This is the first time we've actually talked live on a podcast, but I'm looking forward to chatting with you, Mike. So welcome to the show.
1: Yeah, thanks. I read your stuff a very long time ago. And then your controversial, depending on how you want to describe it, Discussion of ayahuasca, I thought was very cool and promoted another important conversation, which I found, which I found. Oh great. yeah. So the
0: idea of, uh, of, of plant medicines. Yeah. So, uh, by the way, uh, regarding the ayahuasca thing, is that something that you've
1: messed around with much? Yeah, no, um, pretty extensively. That's why I always, I always find it. That's why when people call me controversial, I always find that interesting because, I like controversy even in things that, that I disagree with or that I like. So I've had positive experiences with plant medicines. And when I read your articles, I read the books that you recommended. It didn't offend me or make me feel attacked that, oh, wow, the, they believe something about this that's completely negative and see it as detrimental. I wasn't offended by it, even though I have maybe a different point of view So I always find it interesting that when people get angry, when their own views are challenged, when I'm constantly challenging my own views and always promoting information that contradicts things that I've said, and then people can decide for themselves where they lie.
0: Yeah, totally. What was your experience with with ayahuasca
1: like? Uh, Yeah, I've had multiple and I've had different realizations through you know through multiple encounters over about 10 15 years and my experience was very transformative in terms of opening up my other senses and opening up first the realization of a spirit world that what we see here is clearly not it and not even probably the most interesting part of living and then you reliving experiences or re Framing experiences, not through the context of the mind, but through the context of heart or feeling, emotion, whatever whatever word people want to describe it. So it taught me a lot about being more of a compassionate person and being more of an empathetic person, even if that doesn't always seem reflected in what I say or how I conduct myself.
0: Yeah, I think I heard you interviewed by, I believe it was Charlie Kirk I feel like he kinda like jumped down your throat when you mentioned plant medicines or ayahuasca. Do you guys ever wind up having any more chats about that?
1: A little bit, and I talked to a, a Alex Clark, who is also somebody who's part of that network, the turning point network. And I I didn't mind that because I understand that under maybe the Judeo-Christian view or the Christian view, it's seen as pharma pharmacaea and people could have religious objections to this. And Nothing nothing like that offends me or bothers me. Is
0: that something that's related to the Substack article that you have? I didn't get through the whole thing, but it's something about the other side of fear or conquering fear or breaking through to the other side or something like that. Was that related to your experience with ayahuasca?
1: Yeah, yeah, 100%. It, it was it was a meditation. So I it was a meditation, I guess, on fear. And real fear versus imaginary fear and the way that fear holds us back in in all areas of our life from making changes in life or from developing spiritually, from being vulnerable. Fear really is the nasty little demon that influences everything we do from when you're trying to start a business. Oh, what if I fail? Well, people are going to laugh customers are going to say, no, what if I do this thing on the internet? People are going to make fun of me. And you, you list all these litanies of so-called fears. And then you realize, well, first of all, those would be good problems to have, right? Like, as, as you know, as you've been in the, around this for a while, me too, the best thing that could happen to you is people are making fun of you because you exist, right? Far more likely nothing's going to happen, Right? to be honest far more likely it's going to be obscurity for a very long time. It's going to be a very long slog. So the way that, and I didn't come up with this coinage, other people have said it, but you always want to look at what's on the other side of that fear. And you find that a lot of times what's on the other side of fear is the lack of belief in yourself, um, a lack of value in yourself, a lack of trusting yourself, a lack of trusting other people. A lot of it, of course, is imagination and stories that you've told yourself. And we, we always want to be probing with on the other side of that because at least within the context of ayahuasca, and that's why you know I've read the books you've recommended and I read your article and I've talked to other people about it. You you are confronted by super intelligences. Some people believe they're demons, some people believe they're friendly spirits. Other people believe they're archetypes, apparitions of your mind. Jung wants to call it your own shadow. Everybody has their own take on it. Regardless of that, you're confronted with something far greater than what we think we are. Right. That was one of my larger realizations of plant medicine. Is okay, so whatever I think I am, I'm really not that I'm not that tough. I'm not really anything compared to whatever exists in this realm beyond our normal conscious processing. And when you're in that situation, it's quite terrifying, traumatically terrifying in a lot of ways. You're confronted maybe with your own death. And in one case, I experienced what would be the entire cycle of a a death and a near-death experience. And for all practical purposes, I I had died. And when that happens, there's tremendous fear. And then what do you do? What do you do? You you live in fear or you say, let's let the fear pass. Let's see what's on the other side of fear. Let's see what the message is on the other side of fear. Let's try to see what this fear is. And that's actually something else I, I got out of ayahuasca is, you know, if you read my book, Gorilla Mindset from way back in the day. It's. I still like it and I still stand by it, but it's very much about controlling your emotions and auto-regulation, which are, I think, important skills. But I've realized those are like beginner intermediate skills and that as you really get into development, spiritual and emotional development, there's a lot to be said for, man, I'm really angry. Okay, well, why don't I just go be in a room by myself assuming you have the time and just sit with this anger, right? Why am I so afraid of being angry? Why do I not want to be angry? Why do I not want to feel this way? Mm -hmm. Why do I want to go eat a cookie or an ice cream bar or go drink coffee or go tweet or go distract myself or turn on the TV or watch sports to distract myself from this feeling, right? And I think that's because as men, we were never really taught, Hey man, so just sit with it. It's okay. Just go in a quiet room by yourself, or maybe listen to some music, drums, whatever, whatever your vibe is, and just sit with it and let the waves flow and see where it takes you. And I've had a lot of realizations about where maybe certain feelings come from. And that process began primarily through excursions into plant medicine. Do you think it's, it's the fact that
0: Well, let's say you use the example of men and anger. I suppose we could just also say human beings in general and our lack of ability or refinement of the skill to identify our emotions and to ask ourselves why we're experiencing those. Do you think that's a result of upbringing? You mentioned men not being taught to do something like that. Or do you think it's also distractibility? Because I've thought about this a lot. I mean, I even recently heard someone, I forget where, I believe it was in a podcast talking about how back in the day, if say you were some ancient hunter and you took a shot in an animal with your bow and arrow and missed, you'd have like the next four to five hours to just sit there and dwell upon that and analyze your mistakes and process the emotions of that failure or disappointment. And nowadays you can just move on to Netflix or Twitter, or whatever the next primarily digital distraction is. Do you think it's it's an era of increased distractibility that might also be ripping us from being able to just sit with ourselves?
1: Yeah, and it, but it still links back to the original root cause. So we are running from ourselves. That's something that I came away from understanding with the plant medicines is you can like, I, like, I'll give you an example. I was really deep under and I was experiencing some really horrifying scenes with my eyes closed. I had the eye mask. And then I said, this is terrible. And I took the eye mask off to try to look and orientate myself to reality. And I heard a voice say, you can't run from yourself. Stop, stop running from yourself. And that's not something that I, had ever thought about myself, oh, maybe a lot of my ego seeking activities are a way to distract myself from running from emotional vulnerability or running from trauma, which is unfortunately taking on too much of it's being a little bit overused now, but running from pain maybe that we had from childhood. and I think that the reason we do that as we get older, because one it is easier to distract yourself. But two is we you never learn these skills. So, you know, if you think back to childhood, especially with your own kids, uh, yeah, I remember as a kid, if a kid cried in my parents' generation, the what a parent would say was, "I'll give you something to cry about." Right? Stop crying, or I'll really give you a reason to cry. And especially if you're a boy, that was sort of how you were raised. And why, <laughs> right? Why? Why? What's the problem? What's the problem? Your kid's sad. Your kid's, your kid's going to cry. Why, why do you need to just make that stop or why do you need to, to tell them, hey, quit crying, quit making a scene, quit making noise, quit having emotions? But that was the default, I think, that, of parenting for most of modern times and certainly it was how I grew up and how my peers were raised. It's interesting because
0: I think that a lot of that time spent in something like ayahuasca or plant medicine in many cases in in a somewhat sensory deprived state sitting with yourself you know I think it does result in some pretty incredible breakthroughs for people and I've experienced similar ego death and even you know Full on, really truly thinking I'm dead and I've passed away, and the emotions and breakthroughs that accompany that in my own past forays with plant medicine. But, you know, d- despite me not even anticipating us going deep into this topic, yeah, I-, I should probably link in the show notes to the articles that I wrote about that. And I believe that book that you mentioned was Pharmakia, the book that got me thinking about, well, gosh, these things are like opening us up to this spirit world that we got to be really careful with. And, you know, now, you know, primarily my use of a lot of those compounds involves microdosing, you know, for creativity or for mental enhancement or neurogenesis or neuroplasticity or the like, have you messed around with that much you know this whole realm of smart drugs or nootropics or microdosing with plant medicine or anything like that?
1: I've, I've always said for years that almost no one should think about ayahuasca and almost everyone over a certain age should think about microdosing psilocybin and but I still believe that I think I think micro what once I got into microdosing many years ago all I thought was why didn't I know about this my entire life right I would never even I never would have even I quit drinking alcohol years ago but I never would have even felt the urge to drink alcohol which is I think why a lot of people are quitting drinking because once you do find out what a real brain enhancement is, you don't want to, you know, you, you don't want to dumb yourself down with liquor. You don't want to feed the ego via alcohol, which is primarily what that's doing is validating your ego. And with uh, microdosing, especially psilocybin, I, I view that as in, unless a doctor prohibits it or the person specific medical history prohibits it, that's something I can't imagine not doing. Right? Whereas I think with ayahuasca, I think people are getting a little too curious now, and a lot of people who really have no business even thinking about it are making it seem like, oh, this is a cool experience. Woo woo! You know every you know everybody loves this and. Not enough people tell the other side of it like you did, which is, hey, man, maybe you're talking to demons. You ever think about that? Maybe think about that for a minute. Maybe talk to your religious leader if you're going to do it. Maybe just don't run into it or even someone like me who's more down the middle. And I don't necessarily think – I don't necessarily agree with um, everything in the books, but I do think that it's a a tremendous undertaking. A tremendous – like I remember the first time I did it. Many years ago, I prepared at least a month. And for the last five days, I took off work. And all I did was hiked. I ate fruit, drank water. And all I could think of is like, why am I doing this? What's my intent? What, what am I doing going into this? Right? And a lot of people aren't doing that. They're, they're not even quitting drinking before doing it. They're not cutting off. Uh, they're not following even the diets are overhyped i think and there's a lot of mumbo jumbo around that but there are certain practices you should have and people unfortunately are not really doing that so then they go in whoa they have this mind-blowing experience maybe assuming it goes well but then they don't know how to integrate the experience because they didn't they didn't prepare for it so you might go into it saying this is what my intent is this is what i'm focusing my intent on here's what i really want to see and in my case I had said you know I really want to just focus on how fear is holding me back and so I'm, I'm kind of like I'm focusing my intent on my fear what' am, what am I afraid of right because it was such it was so fake right but that's how fear tricks us is it's a, it's an emotion or a spirit as I've gotten older and less concerned with how people perceive me I just, I think spirit is a spirit Fear is a spirit, which is as taught in, in religious contexts as well. I think it's an actual spirit. And it, it tricks you. Because once you once you have gone through the ringer enough times, you think that that's it? That's what I was worried about? That that's yeah. what was holding me back. That was the big problem here. And it, it's laughable, but Again, then the fear will resurface in other ways. Oh, life's good now. Why would you you take on this new challenge? Life is good because you go through multiple phases, right? You go through the phase where you're young, you don't have anything. You got to put your mark on the world. And fear takes on a different meaning. Oh, I'm afraid of failure, afraid of looking stupid, afraid that my friends will make fun of me, afraid I'll have to go back home and live with my parents. They'll look down on me. But I'm going to go through it anyway because I'm a young man. That's what young men do. Go out and conquer. Great. But what a lot of people don't talk about is, okay, great. You succeed. Woo-woo. You're a success now. And it isn't like you're on Mount Olympus now and everything somehow changes. That's the biggest delusion that I had and I imagine you had and a lot of people had is, oh, I've made it. Everything is Happily ever after, now like in a fairy tale. No, no. Now you have a new. Now you have a new set of fears. What if I lose it? Do I do I want to take a drastic action? Well, everything is good. Everything is good. Why why take on this new challenge? And that's where the fear takes a different kind of form and a different phase in life. But it's always there, hounding you and haunting you.
0: Yeah, I'm really glad you brought up that part about intentional time prior to engaging with something like say ayahuasca or psilocybin or something like that. I'm in the same boat, Mike. Like I always approach that stuff with a great deal of reverence. And again, you know, despite me not really using those compounds and in, in those type of doses or settings anymore, I would have weeks of Bible reading, prayer, soul searching, Fasting from certain compounds, you know, meat restriction, alcohol restriction, cannabis restriction, and basically total cleanup mentally and emotionally and biologically, followed by making sure the calendar was totally cleared for anywhere from three to seven days afterwards for integration, for journaling, for allowing new habits to become ingrained without the distractions that pull you back into what Napoleon Hill might call that that devilish hypnotic trance that we all get pulled back into once we become less aware or less mindful of where we're at based on just life's busyness. So yeah, I totally agree. I'm glad you brought that up. I think that's one reason people get a so-called bad trip or bad journey is just that lack of integration and cleanup and, and a real seriousness and somber and reverence about the whole experience. But then I mean, I think it's it's kind of interesting that you also brought up the alcohol piece. And I think it is true that a lot of people go to alcohol because they aren't even aware of all these other ways that you can spin the dials, socially lubricate, relax, and increase creativity in that relaxed state without necessarily having a couple of margaritas. You know, and and you know, when, when you look at the fact that there's the byproduct of acetaldehyde that you see built up with alcohol, which you can mitigate. I mean, there's things like milk thistle extract, like, you know, dihydromericetine or DHM is one really popular one. A lot of people aren't aware of that works like gangbusters to digest acetaldehyde. There's another one that's uh, a newer product. I actually just did a podcast on it. It's like a genetically engineered product or probiotic called Zbiotics that can work similarly you're still potentially dealing with calories preservatives you know pesticides herbicides etc so i mean there, there's so many interesting alternatives you talked about psilocybin you know microdosing with that i have a ton of friends now who literally when they go out instead of drinking alcohol they're doing club soda and lemons and bitters and they've got a microdose of psilocybin i think that that works pretty effectively for what a lot of people are looking for when it comes to alcohol Uh, alcohol also makes GABA. You know, that's one reason why when you drink a bunch of alcohol and it wears off, GABA is an inhibitory neurotransmitter. So once that GABA is out of your system from the alcohol, you wake up like that's that one to 2 a.m. You know, I had three beers, you know, when I was out and about wake up time, that can be pretty annoying, but you can instead get a slow release of GABA. You know, one example of that would be there are GABA creams now. Um, that you can get, and you can apply them right behind your vagus nerve by your upper jaw. There are GABA trochees. There's one called um, Tro Calm, made by the company Troscriptions, that works really well. There's um, also a, a nootropics company that I think is pretty cool. They have some pretty cool compounds. They're called Nootopia. And one of their products, called Upbeat, literally gives you that same kind of like surge and feel goodness and social lubrication, and a GABA. Kind of not a flooding, but a definite increase in GABA, and that one's called Upbeat, made by the company uh, Newtopia And then one other, I think that's interesting. I've been experimenting with a little bit lately. That if you're a fan of microdosing with psilocybin, Mike, you might like. It's this new smart drug slash nootropic company called Wukio, and they have one product called Bliss that's like a microdose of psilocybin. Blended with all these other blood flow agents and neurogenesis enhancing compounds, as just like one tiny little white capsule, and that thing's thing's pretty amazing. You know, I, I tell people now if they are interested in something like an ego dissolving type of what you might call a journey, or that merging of left and right brain hemispheric activity, or slight ego disillusion that you might be looking for you know, via some kind of a breakthrough with ayahuasca or high dose psilocybin. Nowadays, most people I say, well, if you don't want to engage with some of the cautionary um, experiences, like entities or elements of the spirit world, etc. But you want something similar, I think ketamine is a decent option. It seems safe. It's synthetic. Some people don't like that. But I've never had anybody experience like entity or you know weird spiritual activity with something like a, a ketamine journey. And then the other thing is is there's a they kind of fly under the radar. But there's a company down in Nashville, and it's called Clara Vida, Clara Vida, uh, and it's basically like this cocktail of smart drugs and ketamine and nootropics and all sorts of stuff that. You take via pills and capsules and like an injection into your shoulder. And then you, if you want to call it this journey for like four or five hours, but it's not again, something that has the same spiritual dimension feel as something like ayahuasca or psilocybin. You, um, it's kind of like clean. It's a little bit more in your head mental, but it's kind of like being on a smart drug and being kind of like laid out on ketamine all at the same time and you're, recording the whole thing with a digital voice recorder. And so, you know, I tell people, well, if you want to do a Peru-like ayahuasca experience without the potential baggage, I like that that Clara Vita place down in Nashville. So there's, you know, there's all, all sorts of interesting rabbit holes we could dive down here, Mike. But, you know, one of the first questions that i had written down that I wanted to ask you was whether you're still doing this crazy gorilla mindset morning routine that you talk about in your book that a few people on the internet have written articles about? It's like cold shower and counting and reciting and memorizing,
1: but are you still doing something like that? The cold shower, unfortunately, went away because my water doesn't get cold enough where, where we ended up moving. And the brain warm up is when I'm in gear uh, 100% do the brain warm up. And I can tell when I don't do it because I haven't done it recently. And that is one of the best ways to get your get your mind going, get your verbal dexterity going. And especially what is interesting, and that's one of the things that I noticed about microdosing, is one so for those who don't know, there's a whole brain warm up in the book that I found in another book that I, I credited the other book for, obviously. And part of it is you want to link a letter to a number. You want to think of different words on the alphabet. So you'll go down like A and you start off real simple, like okay, A apple, B, butterfly, C, Crystal, D, whatever, right? And you and you go down your vocabulary words until you start to get down to, of course, X, Y, Z, which are harder. And what you're doing is you're warming your brain up, the, the verbal part of your brain people say hemisphere stuff isn't valid i don't really not really interested in that debate necessarily but you're getting your mind working and then what you'll notice on a microdose especially if you if you stack it with lion's mane is there are words that you haven't used since high school and you think i didn't even know that i knew that word still as you're, as you're going through that warm up because what you're also doing is you're you're doing an inventory of your vocabulary and you're realizing Oh, I, I, I've been saying these same, same ones for the past three days. I got to come up with a different, different one for B. I got to come with a different one for N. I got to come with a different one for O. And then you find with the lion's mane, I think they call the Stammet st- st- stack, Paul man I think was one of the people suggesting it. As you go, oh, I, yeah. that's, there's a nice word. There's a nice word that I haven't even used. And then what's even stranger is, then you can remember, oh, I remember where I was sitting in high school when I learned that word. So your mind, it's like a Marcel Prost book, Remembrances of Things Past. Your mind starts to take you back to these deep linkages to where I was sitting here in this desk and I remember that was my teacher and this is where the book was open and that's when I learned that word. So with the microdosing, you're able to – because I know I've, I've read some studies and people have their doubts about it, which is fine because it's not, not on me if people microdose or not. But I, I've had so many experiences where I, I've been microdosing and had realizations that were always there, but they weren't accessible to me because my brain was on the current track. And that's, I guess, how I describe microdosing is you you get into a pattern of thought. Okay, I'm going to wake up. Kids. Okay, I got the, you know, cause I got three kids. Okay, wake up, kids. They got to be here at this time. Here's this breakfast, this. Okay, this. Okay, this. And you're so occupied all day as you have to be, as you have to be to be an involved parent and spouse. There is, there is a lot of routine and a lot of which just scut work. But then your mind becomes so zeroed in on those areas that you, you forget how to shift. And then with the microdose, it's just subtle. You don't you don't even notice. That's I think another misconception. Microdose people would would take more than a microdose, and then go, "Whoa, I'll never do that again." Or they'll take a microdose and say, "I didn't feel anything." Yeah, yeah. You're you're not you're not supposed to necessarily feel anything. Yeah, sub sub perceptual, right? Right. But if you're doing work involving especially verbal work, or you're doing the the brain warm up, or you're playing little brain games or word puzzle games you'll find yourself reaccessing vocabulary that had been long since forgotten. And then as you do that over the years, you'll start to have these trippy flashbacks where you'll remember where you were when you learned something something specific.
0: If you're in your 30s or anywhere beyond, you got to start eliminating senescent cells in your body. These are the so-called zombie cells that make you feel old before it's time to feel old. They linger in your body after their useful function, hence their name zombie cells, wasting energy and precious nutrition and leading to so many middle-aged symptoms like low energy, brain fog, slow workout recovery, and joint discomfort. But luckily, you can nuke these senescent cells. There are a bunch of different, newly discovered, plant-derived ingredients that, when expertly combined, can help to reduce senescent cells And the folks at Neurohacker have cracked the code on putting them all together into a fantastic product called Qualia Senolytic. Qualia Senolytic. Now, this could be one of the biggest aging breakthroughs of the decade based on what we know about senescent cells. It could take years off how old you feel in just months. And you only use it twice a month. Six capsules twice a month. Super simple. I'm actually on my cycle right now. I just took six this morning. I'll take six tomorrow morning. Then I set it and forget it for a month nuking my senescent cells, and feeling younger in the process. So if you're sick of feeling old before your time, try try Qualia Senolytic. Go to neurohacker.com slash Ben Seno, S-E-N-O, neurohacker.com slash Ben Seno, backed by a 100-day money-back guarantee, and that code Ben Seno will give you an additional 15% off at neurohacker.com forward slash Ben Seno. There is a bicycle behind me in my office, and no, I don't ride circles around my office. It's stationary but it's an artificially intelligence-driven bike that allows me to engage in this special form of interval training that gets me on and off the bike in just a few minutes. As a matter of fact, this bike, which is called a Carol, has this revolutionary guided interval-based workout that lets you get superior health and fitness results compared to regular cardio in 90% less time. Meaning if I've got a call that ends at 12.30 and then i got to be back on the phone or a consult or a meeting or a Zoom at, let's say, 12.50, I can literally get a full Carroll interval training workout in on this bike that sits right behind me in my office, and they've done studies on this thing. Five workouts just three times a week, which is a fraction of the time. We're talking like 15, 20 minutes on there max. You can improve your fitness by 12%, reduce your risk of diabetes, type 2 diabetes by 62%, and even wind back your internal body clock by 10 years. Studies are interesting on this thing, and for a limited time, you get 250 bucks off a of Carol with the code BEN. So don't wait. Try it out. It's amazing. Over 25,000 riders now. So visit carolbike.com today. C-A-R-O-L bike.com today. I would imagine I'd certainly get to a point at which I quit using the word xylophone every time I got to X and come up with something better. It'd probably be a pretty good way to become more proficient at Scrabble, I suppose, as well if you did this warm-up each morning. But you know my, my notes, just to clarify for people listening, and of course, I'll link to Mike's book Gorilla Mindset in the show notes, which are going to be at bengreenfieldlife.com slash Chernovich, bengreenfieldlife.com slash C-E-R-N-O-V-I-C-H. So I'll link to his book Gorilla Mindset, but my notes are you get in a cold shower or you do a hot, cold contrast shower if you just don't have, you know, the nuts for the cold and you count backwards from 100 to zero. And you're trying to go fast. And the next thing you do, like Mike just said, you find a noun that fits each letter of the alphabet, A through Z, and you imagine some type of word or you say some type of word related to each of those letters. And then you say 10 female names out loud and you can't repeat the names. Then you say 10 male names out loud and you can't repeat the names. And then you close your eyes and you take 10 deep breaths, preferably trying not to huff in cold shower water. And according to what you wrote in the book, Mike, I think it's only like 10 minutes or less to go through that. I haven't actually done it yet. I'm very interested in doing it and just seeing, you know, related to what you were talking about with the Stamit stack, that mix of lion's mane and niacin and psilocybin how how it feels as far as activating my brain and how it might even feel if I were to take a stack like that, which you know it appears there's some evidence could increase neuroplasticity or you know back to that controversial topic you brought up, you know activation of the left and right hemispheres of the brain, and by the way, I think that's interesting because I think some people are a little bit more left brained analytical, some people a little bit more right brained creative and I do think that you can train yourself to use both regions of the brain simultaneously a little bit better. And I mean, you even look at sports that lend themselves well to anti-aging or longevity or even staving off of Alzheimer's and dementia and the working theory here behind these sports. I think Dr. Daniel Amen has talked about this a little bit, by the way, a pretty cool brain researcher with the Amen clinic is that Sports like ping pong, tennis, pickleball, and generally racket sports, and then also the sport of swimming both help with longevity because both of those involve a lot of left and right brain hemispheric activity, meaning like tennis, you're swinging, you're moving, you're engaging in multiple patterns, and you're kind of playing chess at the same time. And then swimming, you're using left arm, right leg, right arm, left leg certain breathing patterns. And that also would cause for some of these merging of, of the hemispheres of the brain, so to speak, or at least using different brain regions simultaneously. But is that the kind of controversy you were talking about when you, were, when you mentioned the hemispheric activity research or, or the questionable idea behind that?
1: Right, exactly. Because there's always people who listen to stuff like this and they'll be in the comments. So you need a source for that. It's like, bro, we know there's controversy. You know, that we, we get it. You know, not everybody agrees, which is why, it, frankly, it doesn't bother me because most of what research is turning up is rediscovering ancestral knowledge of what people know, and yeah, adding to your list like outdoor cycling, other than the risk of getting hit by a car, is the same way because you're engaging in you're engaging in 3D space, and that's because for me, I definitely fall into the the left brain person. I'm I'm wrapped up in my mind, highly introverted. I'm the kind of person who there before I had children and stuff, th- this happened to me multiple times where I would be by myself for so long that I would go to order coffee or something. And I would, I would forget how to talk. I would try to order from the coffee. Oh, wait, wait. Oh, I want, I want coffee, right? Because I can be with myself in silence forever. And in some ways that strength, because Most people can't do that, but that also makes me bored, myopic, self-involved. You sitting with yourself for too long can, you know, there's an expression, "Do the work," which I like. We all need to do the work, but that can unravel and become its own form of self-imposed trauma because you spend too much time with yourself, and then you can you can find stuff wrong with yourself all day, and you know, nitpick yourself all day and drive yourself crazy. So for me though yeah I'm very left-brained verbal and had to over the years work harder to get in the 3D 3D space because it was even the same thing like when I trained jiu-jitsu you know me, mediocre in any kind of sports I played sports you know I was a stronger guy cuz I lifted and especially you know a lot of people that lift. but no nobody thought that I had unique athletic talent or or even being inside your body, which I think is another controversial concept, unless you're an athlete, in which case you're, you're like, duh, the idea that people like me are I don't live really inside my body. I have to think and sort of tell my body what to do, right? Okay, body, we need to get up and we need to kind of walk around and we need to kind of move. And if you try to show me an athletic movement, I have to think about it. What does that mean? I have to put into words. Whereas a natural athlete will watch you swing a tennis racket and they'll grab the racket and they'll, you know, and they'll just swing it or they'll hear music mm. and they want to dance. So my, my younger daughter, for example, she's very, lives in her body. So the music turns on and she jumps and she's dancing and I'm, I'm kind of jealous in a way because she's so in tune with different frequencies that I'm not, which was with me, even as a kid, as a small kid, music would go on and the other kids would start dancing and I thought, why, I don't get it. Why, like, you know, your grades or first grade or whatever, and the teacher puts on a record album and the kids are getting up and running around and I'm sitting at my desk thinking, what are they doing? I, I don't understand this. Right. I I don't get it. Okay. I guess I'll stand up and move my arms around a little bit. <laughs> That's how I wrapped up in my yeah. own head. I guess I am naturally. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I don't think it's any secret that people who are highly intellectual tend to be often somewhat spastic when it comes to body or spatial awareness. They're not the first people who are doing front flips on the trampoline or, you know, even learning a dance move as rapidly as their more body-aware peers. Of course, the trade-off there is that, you know, you do tend to have a little bit better intellectual firepower it seems. I know I'm stereotyping between the meathead jock and the perhaps the hyper-intellectualized, I don't know. Cross country runner, but I think there is something to that. It's interesting that you said that about cycling, by the way, because I've seen some of that data on cycling and longevity or cycling and intellect, and I've always wondered if it's a chicken or an egg thing, right? Because cycling is an expensive sport with the carbon bikes and the you know the nice shoes and the cool arrow helmets, and maybe attracts you know uh, a, a slightly higher income demographic of executives who like to ride bikes together and chat about business, you know, kind of similar to golf. But then at the same time, you know, I I used to race back when I went to University of Idaho. Obviously did a lot of Ironman triathlon and racing with that. And there is a lot as far as reaction time, as far as awareness of your gearing, as far as looking ahead and anticipation. So I'd imagine there is a little bit of a brain training effect. There is of course as you alluded to the head injury potential. It, it it's kind of funny, total rabbit hole, Mike, but I was reading a study a few weeks ago where they looked at cyclists who wore helmets compared to cyclists who were helmetless. And while you'd assume that the former is probably the least intelligent way to ride a bike, they actually found that the attitude of drivers in terms of the areas of the brain that lit up in drivers who saw the cyclists wearing helmets showed far less activity in the human recognition regions meaning when you wear a helmet, you look less personal and less human to a driver, thus dictating that perhaps if you wanted a driver to avoid and swerve at all costs to keep from hitting you or pay a lot of attention to this this human coming down the road, you, you could not wear a helmet. I'm not advising that, but at least it's interesting to think about.
1: Yeah, I've seen those debates on the cyclic forms too. And I've, I find it interesting because I think there was one, it was a rideshare company, maybe, you know, the details that kind of got in trouble because they had read that research and they didn't include helmets with their bikes. And then that caused a big controversy among cyclists. And yeah, you see, yeah, cause you see the logic both ways. And there is a sense that a person on a bike is robotic. You, all you see is the little green, and you don't realize there's a brain under there. So you have to weigh the risk of you falling down and hitting your head without a helmet, in which case you're done-so versus it's usually cars that are going to put you in that position in the first place. And it's, it's, a, it's a difficult, difficult choice either way, but that's why I don't do any road cycling myself because I see how drivers treat cyclists on the road. And I mean, if you read what people are saying on the internet, it, it's pretty gruesome, pretty gruesome stuff. So there's It's one thing I would like to do is do um, outdoor road cycling, but I definitely don't want to risk my brain to do it.
0: Yeah. I still do quite a bit of commuting and road cycling, but I'm, I'm absolutely in camp helmet. Of course, you know, walking is a safer activity, arguably, you know, for the uh, chronic repetitive motion, a low level zone two cardio type of approach. And you actually, you talk about walking in your book and how much you pair that to mindfulness and how critical it can be to forming increased mindfulness. Are you still doing a lot as far as mind muscle connection and certain mindfulness exercises that you do
1: when you walk? Oh yeah, more 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 than ever. So walks are for me because when I wrote the book, f- phones weren't that as cool as they are now. There's just much less to do. So I did Guerrilla Mindset 2015, and back then you had some primitive Instagram app, uh, you know, a little bit on Twitter, but it wasn't. The, the distractibility factor was much lower back then. Like nobody was talking about cell phone addiction in 2015 or al- almost no one was, but so now especially, yeah, it's cell phone free zone as long as I can. Uh, three hours is a good day if I can get those in, which is harder with the kids making space. But you, yeah, the the mindfulness element of it was and, and, and remains is, Just hearing the sounds of your shoes on the ground, because I I have these hiking trails that I go to and just click, 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 and it forms this sort of routine. And then, and then as that's happening, I'm not necessarily trying to direct my thought, although sometimes I am, you know, I guess the thing I like about walking, why why I've always been obsessed with it for, you know, 25 years or whatever, and especially as you get older and it's harder to recover from those intervals, right? It's a lot harder to, to recover from hill sprints. At 46, then, you know, when I wrote Gorilla Mindset or when I was, you know, 32 or whatever, as you want to get as much walking in, is if you have a problem, if you're mad at your wife, put your phone down, take a walk. You probably won't be mad by the end of the walk, right? Probably not. So you're having a bad day, go take a walk. You're having a business problem, just walk and think about it and dialogue with yourself. And interrogate the situation, look at it from all angles and 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 reflect on it. And then the pure mindfulness, the stillness is another aspect. And you can you can have all of the above sometimes in in the same walk where you you get you know it's like calling being like wound up. You're just you you know, you got a, a bad call or something happened, and you start walking and you're a little pissy. Finally, after twenty minutes, thirty minutes, maybe you calm down a little bit. You're a little bit sober now, and then the last latter part of it, you're you're in a state of walking meditation, and walking mindfulness, and uh, lack of judgment, total perception. Everything's calm, and then you, then you're like, "Wow, that was where where you know." Then you're like, "Where would the time go? I didn't even." It's almost like when you've been on a long road trip driving and you forget that you've been driving for an hour, and you get home and think, how did I get home? What you know? Did I just zombie out that much?
0: Yeah. I think I was probably maybe 38 or 39 when I had that light bulb moment that I really liked walking a lot more than I liked running. And I felt just as good afterwards with far fewer injuries or aches or pains. So, I'm now on the 10,000 steps a day bandwagon and sometimes hit up to 20. You know, I'm walking here while I'm talking to you during the podcast. And I don't do as much silent walking as you do, even though I do have this phrase. If my wife and I do have a disagreement or if I'm going through a difficult time emotionally, is that I pray on it, I walk on it, and I sleep on it. And if I can do all three of those when I'm in, an emotionally or spiritually or mentally difficult situation, it helps a ton. I walk on it, I sleep on it, and I pray on it. But when I walk, a lot of times, like I'll use little five-pound hand weights. I like to use a weighted vest. Sometimes I'll use a breath restrictor device, like the Relaxator, is a good one to teach myself how to, how to nasal breathe and to get some inspiratory and expiratory muscle training. Uh, I'll sometimes drop into calisthenics. Like I have this one walk by my house where there's telephone poles every four minutes or so. And so I drop and do 20 push push-ups every telephone pole. So I'm constantly mixing things up when I walk. But yeah, I mean, it's it's fantastic, especially for, you know, the, the catharsis type of effect that you were alluding to. And I'm just curious for you, Mike, you got to have people who piss you off on the internet, or who troll you or say bad things about you. I know that... You're probably not doing things right in life if somebody on the internet isn't saying something bad about you, but how do you deal with that emotionally you know with, with with as prolific as you are on Twitter and all these controversial topics that you dive into, what do you do about the nasty comments and the trolls and people saying bad things about you
1: There are a number of things, some tied in a higher space of mind and then some in a lower and i've depending on my mood, I vacillate between the two of them so when I'm in, when I'm in a good space and higher vibrating, then I just think, you know what? I was that person at one point. I was a young man, uncertain about life, maybe a little bit mad at the world, maybe mad at myself. And I would read something and I want to demonstrate that I'm smart or impose my imagined power on this person. And that was me, man. I'm getting karma payback for me. I was a reply guy. Now I have reply guys after me how how am i how am I gonna judge that person when I'm just getting back what I put in and then of course when the the worst side of me the lower side of me comes out I think what I mean you guys haven't done anything in your life how dare you even talk to me this way right which is i don't I don't like that part of myself when it surfaces but you know occasionally it does which i'll i look at someone and I'll think like what do you like what do you think that you have to tell me, right? Where where in your mind does that register? Because although I, I certainly have a lot of opinions on, on things, if you check your notifications, Mike Cernovich has never told Ben Greenfield how to do an Ironman triathlon because that would be the stupidest <laughs> thing in the world that I could ever – right, it would just be stupid if I'm, oh, I can't believe you're doing an 80-20 blah, blah, blah. And imagine I just start <laughs> typing. Your training is – you would think, Mike, you're out of your mind here. You know, you've never done a tri. You don't know what you're talking about. Like, what do you do? You know, what are you doing? And that's often the case with, with people who are interjecting on things. It, it, it would be like somebody telling you how to do a triathlon and you think, Oh man, you've never given this issue any thought at all. And it can be a little bit annoying sometimes, but I've been through, I've been through the ringer so many times. And then especially, with plant medicine journeys and everything, you realize how, how like lost people are, how lost, you know, that's another thing I guess I took from Mm. the the plants is getting over myself, which again, it might not, it might, people might not always perceive it that way based on my writing style, which has a certain kind of punch to it because a lot of people don't, don't understand that there's, there's a way to get a message out. And that's probably, and that's also probably why it doesn't really bother me when people yell at me as much on the internet, because I understand that what they see is an avatar and not reality. They see a very punchy point of view where you might not even be sure what I'm saying. And you're wondering if I'm implying something that I'm not implying it and whose side are you on and what are you really getting at? And, and I know that that's what you have to do to penetrate the thought bubble and to provoke a conversation. And, and I know this, but I know that that's not my heart. Like I know when I, when I insult someone who insults me, I'm, I'm not doing that maliciously. That's just kind of like part of the show. It's, it's part of the show and having the spectacle is in a lot of ways, what brings people to t- conversations like this, which is more real, like what's the real me. This conversation yeah. is insofar as there's a real you that exists when you're engaging with other people in a social manner, because there's always going to be aspects of front facing your best self. But to the extent there's a real me, it would be this conversation, right? It wouldn't be a one dimensional kind of rant. Occasion. Although we do, we do have a lot more vulnerable topics, I guess, on Twitter too. So that's not necessarily fair, but, but even the nuance that you're going to hear this podcast, it's not the way you write, because that's not effective writing style, especially for short form. So I just have to understand and charge it to the game that people are going to misunderstand me and people are going to believe things about me that aren't really true. And you know what? That, that's fine. That, that's the other side of the energy. I'm putting out an energy and I realize that I'm doing it for a good reason, for a good cause to try to help my country and try to help humanity. And people are going to misinterpret it and code it a certain way. And you have to love people enough to know that they're going to do that and accept it.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you decided not to be the fake you on this podcast, Mike. Uh, Just in the spirit of perhaps generating even more mean comments for you, maybe in the show notes for this show, I did notice you tweeted out, and we do have a lot of people who listen who are interested in nutrition. So I figured I'd ask you about this. You tweeted, eat bugs, live in a
1: pod. What exactly did you mean by that? You know that's a, that's a great. I think that's why I'm good at Twitter because, right? What does that even mean? There's so many different layers of it, but that goes to um, a number of memes. Which uh, the World Economic Forum, you will there, there's a an organization that's kind of a networking group where all the rich people get together and they talk about the agenda for humanity, and they do this in open, even though that's called conspiracy theory. And in one promotional video they said, well, you will own nothing and you will be happy, right? And people, of course, most of your people are, are pretty awake and they understand this kind of stuff. But when you're in the world of people who aren't awake, they will tell you that's not true. That video is not real, okay? <laughs> okay, it is. They deleted it once people found it and began discussing it. It was deleted. But they said, you will own nothing and you'll be happy. But, of course, that doesn't include them. They're going to own everything. But you, you're going to own nothing and you're going to accept it. And that, and that's where the pod comes in, where everybody can kind of sleep in pods and, and op- the equivalent of being in a, some kind of weird, low-security prison where everyone's in a pod and you get, your, you get your daily serving of bugs because they're anti-meat. They don't want people eating meat. They want people eating crickets and bugs. They they want people eating bugs and they, they push that. Uh, what, what was that movie, Soylent Green? or, Yeah. Soiling great. Yeah. Yeah, Right. So that that's been rebranded as bugs. So the meme, I guess, would be almost of a demarcation of a worldview is, are you going to be a bug man? Which is a, which is another meme. And the bug man is the kind of person who doesn't aspire to any kind of heroism, doesn't aspire to anything beyond being in his pod, eating his cricket chow, playing video games maybe has a VR headset watching pornography and that's the extent of his existence right it's as if he' never had never really lived and that I think is the zeitgeist that we're fighting against you know
0: I I if I would have tweeted that probably would have said something like eat beyond burger live in a pod mostly because I've had some damn tasty cricket protein powders and Cricket protein bars sent up my way in the past. And even though we don't actually have, thank God, a a cricket or insect-based protein sponsor for this podcast episode that we just lost, I think bugs can actually be pretty cool. I've I've done some cool cooking with with crickets and grasshoppers and bugs and the like. But you're right, Um, engineered, highly processed, highly palatable Food that keeps people living in boxes, traveling in boxes, working in boxes, and in their constant, as Michael Easter says in his book, comfort crisis certainly lends itself well to people being more controllable or at least less adventurous, right? If you handed everybody a bow and told them they needed to secure their own protein, you'd see a lot of people growing in a lot of new ways and probably a lot of misplaced arrows you know, randomly getting scattered around the neighborhood.
1: Yeah, the the cricket thing is funny because I remember that startup that was a cricket protein bar back in maybe two thousand eleven or twelve, and they were good. So I've I've eaten plenty of crickets and people would be lucky. <laughs> that's why I guess it's a funny meme because that's what makes it a meme. Is it isn't always literally true. It's a broader discussion. People will be lucky if we're getting crickets. You're more you're more likely to get the soup of Highly processed canola oil, with with um, a soybean or something. And that's what you're. That's the yeah. chow you're going to be getting. So there might come a day when you're lucky if you're getting cricket protein instead of this swill.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, maybe I will try to hunt down a, a good cricket protein sponsor for this episode. I, I forgot the name of that one that you mentioned, but yeah, I used to go to this event called Paleo FX in Austin, and increasingly over the years, it seemed like there was more and more. I think it's called etymology. I get etymology and entomology mixed up. Anyways, the, the eating of insects seem to be quite popular because it's you know very primal and, and ancestral. Uh, hey Mike, where's the best place for people to follow you? Is it Twitter or or actually I should ask you this? Do you call it X or do you call it Twitter? Million Dollar question. Most important question of the show.
1: Well, I call it Twitter, but to to try to push w- the the name change, I do call it Exxon. I do call it X whenever possible because if Elon put up that amount of money to protect and defend free speech and he wants it to be called X, the the least that I can do as a mere mortal is call it X as well. So I do try to be disciplined in calling it a post instead of a tweet and X instead of Twitter. And hopefully hopefully we can push that language forward. I think the substack, .substack mikecernovich.substack.com is a good place to start because it's a little bit more longer form, a little bit more nuanced. Reading my Twitter, if you've never read it, can be a pretty jarring experience. I don't I don't <laughs> recommend it for a first impression.
0: I've got some brave and courageous listeners. They can, they can give it a try. If you go to my Twitter,
1: wait a couple days and you'll see that there's a vibe. You can't just jump in on one and that, that's the biggest mistake people I think make, which is also why I can't take it personally when people make certain assumptions about me, is if you only read one tweet, you think, what, what is this, right? This is an insane person and I don't even know what I'm doing here, right? But as you read more, you go, oh, there's kind of a flow to it. All right. I Okay, okay, okay. I get it. He's still an insane person. but..." There's at least a methodology to what he's doing, and it does kind of make sense. And now yeah. I at least understand it a little bit.
0: Yeah. Well, I dig following you. You've got you've got some some interesting takes, and uh, I I agree with much of what you say on there actually. So so I'll link to your your X profile in the show notes. If folks go to Ben dot com slash chernovich c e r n o v i c h, I'll also link to Mike Substack. And this book, Guerrilla Mindset, even though like Mike mentioned, it's a few years old and he's even grown since he wrote the book to perhaps being a little bit less you know, programmed with each and every part of the day and kind of more expansive in terms of self-introspection. I, I think that the book's a handy little read. I just got it off Kindle and, and uh, read it in a couple of days last week. There's some cool tips in there. So feel free to check that out as well. And Mike, thanks for joining me, man. I'm glad we were able to connect.
1: My pleasure. Glad it was able to happen. Thank you.
0: All right, folks, I'm Ben Greenfield, along with the great Mike Chernovich, signing out from bengreenfieldlife.com. Have an amazing week. Well, this is pretty cool. Just put the finishing touches on a luxury VIP retreat in the Swiss Mountains. So you may have seen a little bit of rumblings about this on social media, but the beautiful Six Senses Retreat all-inclusive luxury locale in beautiful Crans Montana, Switzerland, has graciously allowed me to bring a maximum of up to 10 folks, and this could be individuals, couples, families, into a transformative experience there where I'm going to lead breathwork, hikes, workouts. You'll get hands-on foraging adventures with nature's freshest ingredients in there cooking class locale there. You're going to get a chance to do amazing spa treatments. a meticulously curated program. You'll get to meet my wife and my sons who will be there. Again, families are welcome. You can bring one or two or three kids. You can make it a couple's retreat. If you want to go solo, you can. There's a limited number of rooms where we're prioritizing couples and families. But again, if you want to get in, this thing is coming up around the corner, April 17th through the 21st. 2024. So it will be all inclusive. You'll want to fly into Geneva, Switzerland, assuming you want to get into the closest airport. I've already got our flights. Uh, you'll want to mic your calendar for April 17th through the 21st. And here's how to get in. You go to bengreenfieldlife.com slash six senses 24. That's bengreenfieldlife.com slash six senses 24. And, again, it's going to be incredible all the way down to, like, evening sing-alongs and stargazing and yoga and meditation. And, again, the spa there is incredible. Six Senses is known for having incredible retreats around the world, but this one in Switzerland is supposed to be one of the best. I can't wait. I led a retreat in Portugal last year, and people just said it was the most amazing experience of their lives. This one will be just as good, if not better. So go to bengreenfieldlife.com slash senses. 24, And you can get in on this retreat that's coming up right around the corner, April 17th through the 21st. I hope to see you there. Want free access to comprehensive show notes? My weekly roundup, cutting-edge research and articles, my top recommendations for everything that you need to hack your life, and much more? Visit bengreenfieldlife.com. In compliance with the FTC guidelines, please assume the following about links and posts on this site. Most of the links going to products are often affiliate links of which I receive a small commission from sales of certain items, but the price is the same for you, and sometimes I even get to share a unique and somewhat significant discount with you. In some cases, I might also be an investor in a company I mention. I'm the founder, for example, of Keon, LLC, the makers of Keon branded supplements and products, which I talk about quite a bit. Regardless of the relationship, if I post or talk about an affiliate link to a product, it is indeed something I personally use, support, and with full authenticity and transparency, recommend in good conscience. I personally vet each and every product that I talk about. My first priority is providing valuable information and resources to you that help you positively optimize your mind, body, and spirit. And I'll only ever link to products or resources, affiliate or otherwise, that fit within this purpose. So there's your fancy legal disclaimer.